0: We're looking at a love story for the ages. I did a little research on what are some of the, the greatest love stories of all time. And, and some of these you might not recognize. The ones I didn't recognize I left out, so that's, that's the, um, the privilege that I have. But think of Romeo and Juliet, King Arthur and Guinevere, Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. Emperor Napoleon and Josephine, John Smith and Pocahontas, Rhett and Scarlet, Prince Wesley and Buttercup, Ross and Rachel. Many of you harvesters that that predate me might think of Glenn and Susie, a love story. We're talking about a love story for the ages, though. And and in looking at this, we'll be looking at Mary and Joseph. Two names that, that people that, no matter what their knowledge of the Bible, no matter how little they know of the Scriptures, if you say Mary and Joseph, they'll know who you're talking about. And they'll know it as a love story. Looking specifically at Mary this morning. But even in looking at her, no matter how much she might be, in many ways, misguidedly elevated, hers and Joseph's relationship is overshadowed by a love, a love story that is greater, that is deeper, that is eternal, and covenant-keeping kind of love. It is the love story of the ages. And it's that of God's love for his redeemed people. Redeeming a people for himself. So we're going to pick up Mary's story in Luke 1, starting in verse 26. And and, and Angel Gabriel has already visited Zacharias. And this came, this was the ending of what is called the 400 silent years. It was 400 years in Israel's history where there was no prophet that got a word from the Lord. There was no angel that brought a message from the Lord. There was no scripture written inspired by the Lord for 400 years in the life of God's people. And then six months prior to... Gabriel showing up to Mary. He shows up to Zachariah and lets him know that his wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby in her old age. So Gabriel then visits Mary and and it says in the sixth month, that's in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's where it comes in in Luke 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Mary being referred to as a virgin here for one thing refers to, it would be a term referring to young women about the age of 14. But also it references uh, her commitment to Joseph, her commitment to the Lord in protecting her sexual purity. She's betrothed to Joseph. This is engagement on steroids, okay? This is this is uh, engagement plus way more commitment. In fact, their friends and family would have considered them husband and wife in all ways except that they did not live together and they remained sexually pure, certainly not getting pregnant. Joseph, during this time that would have lasted at least a year, was preparing his home, which, which would have very possibly been an extension to his parents' home or within their compound. He appears to them of, in, in, in Nazareth. Nazareth, uh, where Mary was born and raised. Uh, archaeology has shown recently was a little town at the end of a donkey path. Literally. People from Nazareth were actually despised by the Jews that lived closer to Jerusalem because Nazareth was right on the cusp of the Gentile world and and the Jews that lived closer to Jerusalem considered them unclean, not kosher, because uh, because of their proximity to the Gentiles. And so Gabriel comes to this young woman in the city, the town of Nazareth, and we read in verse 28, he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. As a young woman, especially a young woman from Nazareth, Mary has no status whatsoever in their culture. Yet he calls her favored one. Next verse, he, calls her, you have found, he tells her, you have found favor with God it literally means grace has come to you. We continue and the angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." This is a Aramaic or the New Testament idea, the same name as Joshua, God saves. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. How would you like that of an example? If you have found favor, you're going to be pregnant during your betrothal. Not by your own will or action. I think that Mary was pretty quick, though, to catch the significance of this announcement. Still, the angel didn't like ease her into this, right? He didn't say, the Messiah is coming. He's going he's to come through you. But you're going to be pregnant. And you'll appear like you've been immoral. By the way, in that culture, was punishable by stoning So you can understand Mary's question to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her. Who is called barren, For nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel uses language that's akin to when the, the the Jewish people were in the tabernacle during the wilderness before they came to the promised land. That the Shekinah glory, that cloud, would overshadow this this vague idea of just kind of uh, um, spiritually um, approaching. That the Holy Spirit somehow would overshadow Mary, not in any sort of physical way, but that she would become pregnant with Jesus. It says, and Mary said, behold, I am a servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So think of whatever love story you can. You know, maybe, maybe your favorite, maybe a movie, a book, some, some, some story or relationship in history. There's elements of a man pursuing a woman compelled to wait to sacrifice for her. Both compelled to risk whatever necessary to grow old together. You know, all great love stories are shadows Of the love of God for those that he's redeeming. I don't mean they're shadows in the sense of in comparison. They are certainly that. I mean they're shadows in the sense that they impress us so much. We write books about them unendingly. We make movie after movie after movie about those themes that I shared with you. Because there's one great love story that we can't get out of our hearts. And that's the love story of God pursuing a people that He's redeeming. Mary's response is an example to us of how we could be responding. We should be responding to God's calling on our life. But I also want to share the significance of the words. How significant they were when they were told to her. And from these verses... I think you'll see the value of when you can release your life story to God's love story. Release your life story to God's love story. And when he says to to her, greetings, oh favored one, the Lord is with you. It's like saying, congratulations, your life is about to get wrecked. But by wrecking Mary's plans, he was fulfilling God's greatest, not just greater, greatest plan. We're told about it in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he, and he went on to explain everything that Jesus would be. And, and this is not like, I, I can't believe it. I've got a distant relative who's royalty. No, Jesus' greatness is explained by explaining who he would be, who he is. Even as her earthly son, he'd be called the son of the most high. In the Jewish mind, to call someone the son of the is the embodiment of all of the father's qualities. As Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He would be given the throne of his ancestor, King David. This is a promise, a covenant that God made. With King David, that, that one day, one of his descendants was going to sit on his throne and reign forever. As David writes about in Psalm 89, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Jesus' kingdom would never end As Psalm 89 also says, my steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. As he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of the most, the son of God. Just as this isn't about Mary and Joseph's love story, but about God's love story, Jesus' birth doesn't just represent the beauty of life. It doesn't represent the, the innocence of childhood. It doesn't even represent how awesome it is to give gifts. It's not about how precious family is or should be. It's not about the fact that with all the bad in the world, here's some good. You know I heard Ravi Zacharias recently say something that really that really struck me. He said Jesus didn't live and die and rise again to make bad people into good people. Okay? He didn't do all that to make bad people into good people. He did it to make dead people alive. To make people who were spiritually dead spiritually alive, no matter how many, how good they seem, they need to be brought from death to life. As we might sing about this season, in the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Mild he lays his glory by, Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the Son of Earth, that's us. Born to give them second birth. That's what Jesus' birth was about. And Jesus needed to be born of a virgin, partly as we're told here, to be holy. And he needed to be holy because we are not holy. We cannot have relationship with God apart from Jesus' holiness being applied to our account. Replacing the sin that he died for, that he paid for on the cross. He would be our perfectly pure sacrifice, a spotless offering for your sins. As 1 John 3, 5 tells us, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin And that is a big reason why he must, he needed to be born in the way that he was, as we're told here. It's because the gospel needed it. It was all about making a gospel relationship with God possible. Where a person recognizes my sins were laid on and paid for by Christ. By the all-powerful, eternal God. And his power was enough to pay for it. And in his eternality, his death could apply to me living 2,000 years later. And his resurrection proves it all. And so, Lord, I recognize that you paid for my sins. And I accept the righteousness of Christ. Please make me your child as you promised. That's what the first Christmas was about. The Son of God being born to save and redeem a people for himself. Mary knew that she was giving up her life story for God's ultimate love story. And her statement, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Knowing it was going to wreck her life her dreams, her plans. Now I want to share with you a, a, <clears throat> a picture from uh, our Thanksgiving 2019. So this is 10 people sitting there. This is the Thanksgiving meal. And the what's true is there was 22 people staying in the house. Only 10 of us sitting there for the Thanksgiving meal. Why? Because I'll because our thanksgiving got wrecked by the stomach bug. Half of us who were sitting there didn't even want to eat. Right? These are the survivors. <laughs> but you know there were some expected unexpected benefits. We have interesting memories and we got we grew even closer together. Um uh, Many of us didn't even gain weight over the holiday. We actually lost some. That's a benefit, right? One day, if you know Christ as your Savior, you are going to be sitting at God's feast, sitting at his table as his child. You are not going to sit there disappointed. No matter how much he wrecked your plans and your life, to get you there. You're going to rejoice over all the wrecking of your plans for his gospel glory. So, so learn something from what it involved for Mary to shift from her love story to God's love story. First, redefine what you see as the good life. Is it the American dream, the dream home, the dream job, the 1.5 kids, all the family around for the holidays? Honestly, when you walk with Christ, every type of event, he calls it good. That's what's talked about in Romans 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Those uh, those two ideas basically are describing a person with a relationship with God. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. And what is that good? It's explained in the next verse. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's good for us. Secondly... Not just redefine what you see as the good life. Embrace a gospel mission life. What's God's gospel mission for you in your life right now? In other words, what has God got in mind for you to more embrace and understand a gospel relationship with him in so much that it has an impact on your daily life, your relationships, your family, your coworkers, your neighborhood? What's God's plan for you? What does it look like for you to be faithful to him in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace? If God were to bless your efforts in sharing him with others, what could it look like? Revival in your family? His influence sweeping across your neighborhood? That's the type of stuff that he does, folks. Redefine what you see as the good life and embrace a gospel mission life. So Mary travels to her cousin Elizabeth because of what the angel said in verse 36. For behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and is in the sixth month with her uh, with her who is called... Um, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So Mary's like, okay, I got a sign here. So... Before I'm morning sick or anything like that, I can go and check this out and know that what Gabriel told me is true. So it says in verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So... We have one of these special lady moments, except they're not squealing or doing jazz hands or anything like that. Apparently in that culture they break out into poetry. Okay, so, so that's what Elizabeth does. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How does she know that? Well, she was, it says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So you may know this. The baby in Elizabeth's womb will be John the Baptist. Now he's John the fetus. But, so he leaps in her womb. And it says, she continues, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul, and this is kind of an Old Testament hymn. Mary is quoting, paraphrasing from all these different Old Testament promises and statements about God that she might have been taught as a Hebrew child, and it's like, it's all coming true. It's happening now. When she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So first we see her praising God for his grace for her confirmed by seeing Elizabeth pregnant. And Mary sees herself as a part of God's privileged people with whom He's renewing relationship as we'll see here talking about His faithfulness, His power, His holiness, and His mercy as she says in verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has fulfilled. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Here Mary is praising God for his grace to Israel. Though the child, through the child that she will bear, God will be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants. Mary knows that her child will fulfill the covenant promise that God made to Abraham and to Israel. And she says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Christmas celebrates God's covenant-keeping love. And he took action in a mind-blowing way. He became one of us so that you could become one of his family. That's what it's about. You know, I've shared with you before one one of the the movies that is like a must see in our family. If we if we saw no other movie during the Christmas season, it would have to be other than the Nativity that we watch on on Christmas morning. It would have to be It's a Wonderful Life, right? And I try to make it so that that's like what we watch on Christmas Eve. But I'm, sometimes I don't always get my conniving that way, but you might remember the scene that, that, that George and, and Mary, this is not our Mary from Luke, this is Mary from It's a Wonderful Life. So George Bailey shows up at Mary's house and they haven't uh, really talked much in a long time and it doesn't really go the way that they, they expected and they end up upset with each other and, and getting in an argument and, and all that. And Sam Wainwright calls on the phone, their old friend. And Mary realizes, maybe I can make George a little jealous. By talking to Sam on the phone and, you know, the old, ha, hee ha, Sam, how are you? And, and Sam starts talking to Mary about she and George need to invest in plastics. And he's going to be building a factory and, and all this. And he says, get George on the line. And, you guys got any money and all this? Well, you need to invest in this. And, and he says, this is the biggest thing since radio. I'm letting you in on the ground floor. And talking about George, he says, Would you tell that guy I'm giving him the chance of a lifetime, you hear? The chance of a lifetime. And if you're familiar with the scene, Mary looks at George and she's thinking of another chance of a lifetime. She says, He says it's the chance of a lifetime. So what does George say? Now you listen to me. I don't want any plastics. I don't want any ground floors. I don't want to get married ever, to anyone? You understand that? I want to do what I want to do. And you're, you're, oh, Mary, Mary. You know, they start kissing and next thing is their wedding scene. So George realized in that weird scene that a chance, his chance of a lifetime was standing right in front of him. Back to talking about our Mary here in Luke 1 just as she shifted from her personal love story to God's love story with excitement, mind you, reimagine your chance of a lifetime. Reimagine what you would define as a chance of a lifetime. Mary, it's confirmed for her. My life is just changed completely, she thinks. But this is a chance of a lifetime. Not just for me, but for my people Israel. And not even knowing it for the world. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is known as the Magnificat. I used to think that it's... it's, um, because it was a magnificent hymn or or something, but it's because of her statement, "My soul magnifies the Lord to magnify means to make great or into large if you've been if you've heard me preaching for long, you know I love that statement, magnify the lord psalm thirty four verses two and three and and psalms put a lot of times statements in parallel, so we kind of better understand what magnify means it says. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. In Psalm 69, verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. That's what you guys did last week in our thanksgiving service. Magnified the Lord. Drew him near through thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I you notice something. I, I didn't really notice this until I was meditating on this personally yesterday morning. What magnifies the Lord? Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Remember, this is in the context in which it just says Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. Prior to Pentecost, this was not like a guaranteed thing. This was kind of, the Holy Spirit would kind of come and go. I believe that what we're seeing here, Mary's exalting of the Lord is a work of the Holy Spirit filling of her, of her soul, of her spirit. And it's pouring over and out of her. My soul magnifies the Lord. Obviously, when you think of something like this, you think of the planet Jupiter, right? At least I did. So Jupiter is ginormous, all right? So Jupiter there, as you might recognize it, that brown planet there, you can't really see it very well, but the Earth is over to the left of Jupiter there. That kind of gives you an idea of the size. If, if we were there next to it like that, it is so huge that it would just draw us in and or we'd be eternally orbiting around it or something like that. Okay, so it's good that it's far away, but it's huge. But You know, if Jupiter was up in the night sky, I would not even know it. Okay, because it's so far away, it's so distant, but yet it's huge. So how do we get to see it? Well, we magnify it. This idea of magnifying is not to make something small, big, it's to take something huge that thankfully it's at a enormous distance and and drawing it in and magnifying it so that we can examine it well that picture on the right that looks like a van gogh painting this is god's van gogh painting okay this is an image from the surface of jupiter which was taken by the juno spacecraft passing by it magnifying it in even closer and it's one of those things that as you draw it closer and get, and get a better idea of what's there, it just is awe-inspiring even more. And that's what we're called to when Scripture says, magnify the Lord. That's what, how God is blessing Mary here with what I believe is a filling of the Holy Spirit as her soul magnifies the Lord. the impact of God's work in her, seeing her situation, understanding that this is the chance of a lifetime. God can invoke his praise and glory from deep within us, from a changed heart. You know, I don't get these companies that don't want to celebrate Christmas. Right? Happy holidays. We're having a holiday sale. You know, at least Starbucks this year, they actually put Christmas on their their Christmas coffee. Uh, You know, that's a step in the right direction. I don't know about you. If you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, right? When the white witch curses Narnia, the curse is it's always winter and never Christmas. These companies don't understand this. Christmas is a good thing. It gives a reason for winter, right? I like winter, but most of you guys don't like winter. Christmas is like the reason for winter. What excites you about Christmas, though? Is it, is it what you're going to be giving or, or getting? You know, it, it's still true that even as people are like into the holidays rather than Christmas, Christmas is one of the best times to be on gospel mission. But it's going to be based on, your ability to do that, it's going to be based on whether your soul is magnifying God or not. So what excites you? Is it the deals? Is it the food? Is it it family? I mean, that still pales in comparison. All these are good. They're gifts from God to be enjoyed, but, but they won't fill us from within and pour out of us with joy and rejoicing. If we're consumed by Black Friday, which is now Black Friday weekend and Cyber Monday, which is now Cyber Week, you know, we won't see the fact that Christmas is always the chance of a lifetime. It might be the chance of somebody the only chance in their lifetime that they're open to what the real meaning of Christmas is, the gospel. So I challenge you, magnify the Lord. Focus your attention on the Lord's loving, redemptive work. Encourage others to examine his amazing work to loving, restored people to himself. Ultimately, be in the place where the Spirit fills you and your soul magnifies the Lord. Guess what? If you're filled with a bunch of other junk, the Spirit can't fill you. When we receive Christ as our Savior, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But we're only filled with Him in as much as we get the other junk out. The sin, the distractions. And so confession and surrender and repentance, that's the path to being filled with the Spirit. Parallel to this is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in your Savior. This Christmas season, seek a work of God that erupts rejoicing. That brings meaning and purpose to Christmas carols. Seek it until you find it. That's what he tells us. I thought about this in kind of an un- unexpected place of a, of a Christmas carol by Michael Buble I was listening to the other day. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need and I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I don't need to hang my stocking there upon the fireplace. Santa Claus won't make me happy with a toy on Christmas Day. I just want you for my own more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. Seek the Lord this Christmas until that's true of your heart. It's not true of me all the time. It's not true of me most days. But how God radically changed Mary's life and yet made it so she realized it was a chance of a lifetime, is a testimony to me of what he can do in our lives as well. Let's bow our heads. Lord, you are are so gracious to draw us to yourself. To make us hungry for your grace. Even though that means coming to the end of ourselves. Lord, I thank you for your willingness to fill us in such a way that we, that our souls magnify you. That our spirits rejoice. Lord, I pray for myself my friends here i pray lord god that you'd you'd help us to see what we might be filling our lives with instead of you what we might be hoping in what we might be reaching to reaching out to to fill that space that you want to fill i pray lord god that you'd allow are being filled with you to overflow, to being able to share you with others this Christmas. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.